Let's stand together again as Bo Bayless comes this morning to read to us from God's Word. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This is the word of the Lord from Matthew seven, thirteen through 23. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, after being your pastor here now for more than six years, we've shared a lot of life together. And as typically happens, most people know what's going on in the life of their pastor because I tell you, we tell you about it. And yesterday was the day that we, we dropped off our first, our oldest child to college. Some of you have done that before. Some of you have also done that this year. And we survived it. Though I would say that I thought about pausing the Sermon on the Mount this morning and going back to Lamentations for one more Sunday because it felt a little more appropriate. And some of you may have seen I shared that God has such a sense of humor that on our drive to drop him off at his university, we, were, we had a playlist that we started in the car. The first song was, If You Leave Me Now. The next song was, Time For Me To Fly. Then was, Separate Lives. Those were the first three songs. Then a little bit later was the song, The Way It Is. That's just the way it is. And then literally, I, I kid you not, as we pulled into campus, the song playing was, Don't Look Back. So... <laughs> Again, not only does God have a sense of humor, but you can tell that Rebecca and I love our 70s and 80s playlist. But moving on, we thank you for your prayers and your support, and uh, we're so thankful for God's grace. God is so good. God is so faithful, and we are thankful uh, for his grace in our family and in, in uh, blessing us with having you as our church family. Where I really want to begin this morning is by talking about the James Webb Space Telescope, which was launched by NASA on Christmas Day last year. This telescope is a $10 billion upgrade from the Hubble, which we were so familiar with there for many years. And just recently, the Webb Telescope has begun sending back 
some of the most amazing images we've ever seen. It's just incredible to take in the wonder of God's creation in the cosmos. And the good news is the Webb telescope has just begun sending us things. There are going to be more and more amazing things to see and to wonder and to worship as we think about the amazing creator that our God is. But you might have also seen that a couple of weeks ago, a French scientist named Etienne Klein posted a picture online saying, this is a photo of Proxima Centauri, the closest star to the sun, located 4.2 light years from us, taken by the James Webb Space Telescope. This level of detail, a new world is revealed day after day. Wow, what an amazing image he shared. The photo was shared thousands of times before the scientist Klein admitted that he had posted something just to be funny. It turns out this image is not of the distant star Proxima Centauri, but rather it's a slice of his chorizo that he had for lunch. Look at it carefully. It looks tasty. What a reminder of the day and times in which we live and the challenge of how hard it is to know what is true, what is real, what can be trusted. The fact that we are inundated all the time with misinformation and then often people who intentionally give us disinformation so that it is really, really hard to know what we should trust and believe. Of all the challenges of pastoring a church in this decade, this century, I think that one has to be the biggest just helping folks navigate all of the misinformation, disinformation, the confusion that affects me just as it affects you, and knowing how to point us forward in following the Lord faithfully and, and not being duped by so many of the things that are out there trying to take advantage of us. That's why I hope you notice, and I continue to make as, as a commitment of mine, but, but also a commitment that I encourage for everyone who teaches in this church that we always come back to the scripture as our most important foundational place for truth that we can say without a shadow of a doubt this can be trusted god has given us words he has given us a guide he has given us language as he talks jesus talks about here in the sermon on the mount there is a path that he wants us to be on as true disciples and when we feel lost and confused and concerned that somebody might be taking advantage of us this is the place where we come back and we know as the Spirit of God speaks to us from His Word, we are in the place of truth. And I would encourage you, because I have a feeling this is true for most people in the room, to spend as much time here, if not more, than you do taking in all of that other information and scrolling endlessly through things on your device or your computer that are constantly feeding you more things to be upset about. Spend time in the scripture and see the foundation of truth that the Lord has for us there. As we begin here in verse 13 of chapter 7, Jesus is concluding the Sermon on the Mount with applications. And throughout these applications, Jesus uses what was at his time a very common teaching tool of the ancient world to say there are two ways. There are two ways that you can take. There are two paths. There are two ways of thinking about this thing, whatever it might be. This was a common teaching tool of the ancient Jews. 
It's common in the New Testament. It was common among early Christians and even all the way up to the time of Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation. You see two ways teaching being so common in those who are teaching the things of God. Think about the two ways that Jesus talks about throughout these last verses in the Sermon on the Mount. There are two gates. There are two roads. There are two kinds of prophets, false and true prophets. There are two types of trees, good trees and bad trees. There are two types of fruit, good fruit and bad fruit. There are true disciples and there are false disciples. There's a foundation of solid rock and there's a foundation of sand. And here Jesus gives us two ways teaching by reminding us that there are two gates and there are two roads. And the true disciple is the one who enters through the narrow gate. Verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Consider some of these descriptions of the wide gate and the wide road. The wide gate is easy to enter. It takes no work. The wide gate leads to the wide road, and the wide road has no solid boundaries or sideboards. As you travel the wide road, there's nothing trying to keep you in place. You're blown this way and that by the whims of your life and the whims of the culture. And you go this way and you go that way, and there's nothing holding you in a place of constant. The wide road also focuses on the love of self not on the love of God and the love of neighbor that's the wide road but Jesus says the true disciple enters through the narrow gate to the narrow road the narrow gate can only be entered one way through the good shepherd the good shepherd like the shepherds of the ancient world is guarding the gate protecting it only he gets to decide who comes inside the pen, who walks through the gate. And the good shepherd is Jesus. The only way to enter the small gate, the narrow gate, and begin your journey on the narrow road. Jesus says in John 10, I am the door for the sheep. The narrow gate, though, is easy to miss. For the wide gate and the wide road have many distractions. For some, especially those who are in love with the things of this world, entering through the narrow gate is like going through the eye of a needle. To enter the narrow gate, we must leave everything else behind. Our old life, the idols that we worship, the sin that used to define us, those things don't go through the gate with us. When we get on the other side of the gate, those temptations may still be there, but they're always temptations to look back or to be distracted to the left or to the right. The path of the narrow road is a path that always leads us forward. And if we keep our eyes fixed on the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, he will always lead us forward in righteousness. When we follow our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we will not be pulled to the left, to the right, or to look back, but we will walk the road that he has for us. And I love the way one ancient Christian said it. 
It's not enough to just enter the gate or to step onto the road. The true disciple must walk that road. And that's what it means to experience the life that Jesus Christ has for us here and now. Yes, the beautiful thing about the narrow road is that it leads on forever into eternal life. It's a hard road to travel, and yet Jesus also said about it, the burden is light. The burden is light because Jesus Christ himself, the good shepherd, he's already done the hardest work for us. He's done that work on the cross so that we might even be able to enter the gate in the first place and to walk down that road. The burden is light, but the road is hard. It leads on forever, a long, long way to eternal life. But listen, it is also the road of life now because it is the road of the true disciple. But for us to experience that, for us to experience absolutely the very best of God's kingdom in this life, it's not enough to just walk through the gate. And it's not enough to just step onto the road. We must walk that road, the narrow road that leads to life. And so Jesus says, as a part of this discussion of entering the narrow gate, don't be fooled. The narrow gate, the narrow road is the road of the true disciple. It is not the road of wealth and success. It is not the road of the American dream. It is not the road of partisan politics. It is not the road of merely just doing good works. It is not a road that you can buy your way onto or sneak your way onto. It is the road of the true disciple who follows Jesus as Lord and leader of our lives every single day, and we walk the road with him. Enter through the narrow gate, and don't be fooled because the wide road has false prophets, and they are constantly beckoning us to not enter through the narrow gate, but to enter through the wide one and to run recklessly down that road. So Jesus says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. I think it's important to remember here what we said last week about Jesus' command, do not judge. We talked about what what Jesus meant there was that, that you and I are not to sit ourselves on the seat of judgment where only God is worthy to sit and look down condescendingly on others. What Jesus was not saying is that we should turn off our critical thinking or that we should stop seeking God for wisdom or asking God for discernment as we try to navigate this hard road that is around us. Instead, Jesus says, be on your guard. Watch out for false prophets. And why does Jesus tell us to watch out for false prophets? Well, first of all, because they exist. They are out there. And second of all, because they are dangerous. They appear to be in sheep's wool. They are dressed like they're safe. But inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. And all they seek to do is to devour and to destroy. Who are some of those false prophets today? Well, I'm sure some of you would love for me to name names. But I'm not going to name names. 
but I will say for sure they exist they're out there they are dangerous they're out there influencing us all the time in many cases from our favorite media sources that are profit driven and every single one of them have people who are teaching things that are false from the things we see on social media perhaps in some of our relationships perhaps in some of the people that we are allowing to be in a position of influence over us and we should not be listening to what they say false prophets are those who constantly seek to deceive to divide to defraud and to exploit most of the time for their own selfish gain and many of them find their way into churches they find their way into the influence of people in churches and they misuse the name of jesus and they misuse the scripture for their own gain or for their ideology or for their party or for their tribe or for their cause be on your guard watch out for false prophets and i would add pray for your church that the Lord would continue to protect us from whether it's in the pulpit, whether it's in a classroom, whether it's in any setting, that, that this would be a place where the truth of God is proclaimed faithfully. Because I believe that's something that implicitly Jesus is also saying here. He's saying watch out for false prophets, but he's also saying there is such a thing as truth. And why are false prophets false? The Greek word there for false is a word that'll sound familiar. It's the word pseudo they're pseudo teachers they're pseudo prophets and literally the word pseudo in greek simply means a lie that's what they are they're people who tell lies they're false prophets they're false teachers and be on your guard for them because what they uh, what they package is attractive and it's enticing it's like a well-presented and sweet-smelling plate of food that is actually contaminated with deadly poison they wear sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious as wolves. The Bible talks about false prophets and false teachers all the time. You can find scriptures throughout the Old Testament. Jesus brings this up time and again. And, and, and every single letter in the New Testament, one way or another, deals with this issue. There are false prophets. There are false teachers. Be on your guard. One scripture I want to share with you comes from Jeremiah 23 and as I do from time to time this comes with a homework assignment I'm only going to read one verse But I want you sometime today to go and read all of Jeremiah 23 Jeremiah describes in great detail Some ways that that false prophets can be known because Jeremiah was a prophet Who lived and ministered at a time where most of the prophets who claimed to be God's prophets were false Jeremiah 23 16 this is what the Lord Almighty says do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you they fill you with false hopes they speak visions from their own minds not from the mouth of the lord he continues on to say their hearts are stubborn and their motives are selfish they've not stood in the lord's counsel to see and hear his word therefore god did not send them because he did not speak to them and they are not proclaiming his words so do not god says through jeremiah listen to what they say false prophets and teachers lead people to destruction often knowingly i'll say that again often knowingly 
false prophets and teachers lead people to destruction. And they say things that ultimately echo the words of the serpent in Genesis 3. Things like, did God really say this? Did God really say to you that you shouldn't eat from the fruit of that tree? Did God really mean it that way? Certainly, you will not die. False prophets sound a lot like the serpent. Or as John Stott said, the false teacher does not announce and advertise himself as a purveyor of lies. On the contrary, he claims to be a teacher of the truth. Or as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, the false teacher conceals his dark purpose beneath the cloak of Christian piety, hoping that his innocuous disguise will avert detection. Or as Jesus says, they are ferocious wolves who come to you in sheep's clothing. In ancient Israel and Palestine, the first century where Jesus lived, the wolf was always seen as the enemy of the sheep. But thanks be to God, Jesus Christ is the good shepherd, and he always looks to protect his sheep. He always looks out for what is best for us. And can I just say for a moment that I see my role as a pastor I'm not the good shepherd, but I am an under-shepherd of the good shepherd. He has given me a calling and a responsibility, and I'm not the only one in this church who has that calling, to be a shepherd of his flock, we who are his people here. And I love each and every one of you too much to let you drown in all the toxicity that is around us right now. Sometimes you may wonder why I beat the drum of certain things time and time again. It's because they exist. It's because they're dangerous. And part of my calling and part of my role is not just to teach and to preach and to minister, but to shepherd and to lead. And again, some of you have that calling too. May we be faithful to our callings as under shepherds of the good shepherd. Whether we lead in this church, whether we're parents, grandparents, whatever we're rolling where the Lord has given us influence other people, influence over other people, may we be faithful under shepherds of the good shepherd because that danger is real and it exists. And thankfully, as Jesus continues here, he gives us a way that we can recognize the difference between the true prophet, the true teacher, and the false prophet and the false teacher. And the test that he gives us we'll just call the fruit test. He says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Grapes don't grow from thorn bushes, figs from thistles. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear good fruit, or bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and it is thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Now, Jesus has given us this fruit test. But wouldn't it be nice if the Bible went a little further and gave us some descriptive words of what those fruits might look like? Some of you are smiling because you know that Scripture does give us this. In more than one place, Scripture tells us this is what good fruit looks like. This is what fruit that is born of God looks like. And this is what fruit that is evil looks like. This is what fruit that is born of the flesh looks like. 
The most well-known of those texts comes from Galatians chapter 5, where the Apostle Paul, speaking through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, talks about the difference between the fruit that is false and evil and the fruit that is true and is good. The acts of the flesh, Paul wrote, are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. All of those things sound familiar to us. I warn you, as I did before, he wrote, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. He must have been thinking of the Sermon on the Mount as he wrote those words. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit that is true and good and righteous, the fruit of the one who is walking on the narrow road, not the wide road, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law, or we might say it this way, these are things you can never have too much of as you seek to walk that road as a true disciple. These are the fruit of the Spirit. Those other things that are mentioned are the fruit that come from that which is false and evil, which comes from the evil one himself, and which represents our flesh, not that which comes from the Spirit. So I would encourage you. More than that, I would challenge you. More than that, I would implore you to judge carefully who it is that you follow, who it is that you listen to, who it is that you share. Dare I say who it is that you put their name on your car as a bumper sticker or on your window. Be cautious, be careful who you are promoting, who are you, you are behind, and remember, as Jesus says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. And, and here's the way I, I look at this as, as a teacher, as a leader. It's important. Words matter. What is being said is very important. But equally important to that is what is being lived. And at the same time, I would say how a person is living and presenting themselves is important. But we also ought to listen very carefully to their words and what they are saying. And sometimes judging a tree by, a tree by its fruit, it takes time. We have to be patient and wait for that fruit to be produced. But watch carefully. And Jesus says, beware, because false prophets exist. They are dangerous. By their fruit, you will recognize them. And all of it comes back to what it looks like to be a true disciple. As Jesus says in the last part of our text, the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Back in Jesus' day, there was a difference in the way many people used the word Lord. Lord was a very common word, common speech. Many people simply used the word Lord to say, Sir. It was a polite way to address an adult man. Others would use the word Lord to describe Caesar or to describe one of the Greek or Roman gods. 
The Jews would use this word Lord oftentimes to describe Yahweh. Rather than saying his name, the, one, the name of the one true God, they would simply use the common word for Lord. In the ancient world, there were many different ways people used the name Lord. The same is true today. There are many different ways people will talk about Jesus as Lord. For some, calling Jesus Lord is simply a religious statement. Or it's a descriptive term that does not come from the heart. But for the true disciple, calling Jesus Lord means committing our whole heart and our whole life to him every day. Again, it's not enough to just enter the narrow gate or to step onto the narrow road. We must walk that road as disciples. And I challenge you with this as well this morning. Do you call Jesus Lord every day? When we talk to our children about being baptized, we talk to them about the, the statement they're going to make in the baptistry that Jesus is Lord, but we tell them every single time that's not just something you say on the day of your baptism. It's something you say every day of your life. You live as if Jesus Christ is in charge, not you. Is he the Lord of your life every single day? Does he have all of your heart and life every single day? There are many different ways that people call Jesus Lord. But for the true disciple, it means a life of surrender to him forever as the Savior and as the Lord of your life. Jesus, when he talks here about on that day, I believe the day he's talking about is judgment day. The day that, that the New Testament describes as a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess what? that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. And Jesus says on that day, many will claim to have done incredible things for God. They will even say things like, we prophesied in your name. We drove out demons in your name. We performed many miracles. I love the way G. Campbell Morgan said it. They had done everything but the Lord's will. Jesus said, it's not going to be enough on that day that you say to me, I checked off all the boxes. I did this. I did that. The one who says to me, Lord, Lord, and who means it, who lives it from their heart, is the one who does what? The will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus is saying here that whatever it is we think we're supposed to offer him, nothing is more important than our obedience. And in our obedience, in our, our commitment with our whole lives to walk the road of the true disciple, we can truly be those who not only confess Christ, but listen to me, Christ confesses us. When we stand in front of the Lord, when we stand in, in front of the God who created us, and we say something like, Lord, Lord, Jesus doesn't say about us, away from me, I never knew you. You were never a friend of mine. But instead, Jesus says, oh yes, I know him. I know her. She belongs to me. She's with me. He's with me. This one is a true disciple. This one is my son, my daughter, a member of the family. And Jesus will not say to us on that day as true disciples, away from me, evildoers, I never knew you. He will say, well done, 
good and faithful servant, enter into the kingdom that my heavenly Father prepared for you even before you were born. This is the promise. This is where the narrow road is leading. Today I pray for each and every one of us. As hard as it is to know sometimes what's true and what's right, that we would be on our guard, that we would not be fooled, that we would not find ourselves on the wide path, the wide road, simply because we did not have ears to hear what the Lord has to say to us. But instead, that we would enter through the narrow gate, we would step onto the narrow road, and together we would walk that road. The road of what it means to be a true disciple. The road of the one who in obedience does the will of our Father who is in heaven. Would you pray with me? As you bow your heads and we prepare for our time of invitation and response, I want you just to consider for a moment what that moment might be like when you stand before your Creator. When you stand before the one true God, as we are all going to do, will Jesus say about you, I know him, I know her. He belongs to me, she belongs to me. Or will he say, away from me, I never knew you. When you call Jesus Lord, does it come from the heart of a true disciple? Does it come from one who has surrendered your entire life to Jesus Christ. Today, can you say that you are living as if Jesus is Lord of your life every single day? Lord, I pray that you would meet each and every one of us where we are this morning. First, if there is anyone in this room or watching online who's never taken the first step, they've never said yes to the Good Shepherd, yes, Lord, I, I want to cross over that threshold from death into life. Lord, today, would you point them to the cross? Would you remind them of the work that Jesus Christ has already accomplished for us to make a way that we can enter the gate and we can walk the road that you have for us? Lord, I pray today that if there's anyone who is not walking that road, that you would draw them to you, that you would lead them to a point where they repent, turn away from the things of the past, and surrender their whole life to you. I also pray, Lord, that if there's anyone who has made that decision, who's been walking the road, but today would say, I'm not living as if you are the Lord of my life, as if you, Jesus, are king. Today, would you just refresh in our minds and our hearts what it means to serve you and your kingdom first and foremost. Would you refocus our priorities? And Lord, as we trust you to guard our heart and to guide us in truth, Lord, would you protect us for all of those different ways that the fiery darts of the enemy are being fired at us. Today, Lord, I pray for each and every one of us in this last moment of worship that you would draw our hearts closer to you than they've ever been before. In Jesus' name, amen.